Hey, my name is Jacob Netherton. I'm one of the pastors here at Bethel, and it's good to be here. Um, thank, thankful for your uh, campus pastor here who graciously opened up his pulpit to let me share the word with you this morning. And uh, also want to just say, uh, some of you weren't here at the beginning of the service, so if you're here for the first time, we're glad that you're here. We're, we're glad that you're here as a guest, and we want to get to know you. So after the service, if you'll just come out in the commons, grab a cup of coffee, and uh, find myself, find uh, one of the pastors, directors here, and just introduce yourself, say hi, so we can put a face with the name, okay? So I got a question for you guys. Have you guys ever watched the, the TV show Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous? Do you remember that show? Uh, Robin Leach, he would always end his uh, thing with champ- champagne uh, wishes and caviar dreams, and, and uh, maybe that's not, uh, maybe you don't remember that show, but how about MTV Cribs? You ever watch MTV Cribs? What's... What's the thing about these shows, right? They, these shows give us an insider look at just how crazy some people are, right? How much money they have. Um, things that are just outlandish and crazy and ostentatious. Things like live pet tigers, we get to see that. Ostriches that they ride to go to the mailbox to get their mail. Their own face in tile at the bottom of a pool. Gold toilets, and I know some of you can get excited about that. Big Lavish, ostentatious is the lifestyle of the rich and the famous, the people on MTV Cribs. So what's portrayed here? It's that these guys have it made, right? They lack for nothing. They're completely sufficient. And they can have anything they want and do anything they want. And you're watching these shows thinking, man, I'd love to have that. Man, I would love to have a pet giraffe in my yard. Man. I'd love to just have at least one of their cars, right? Or at least get to live in their maid's house. It's pretty amazing. Well, Jesus has his own version of MTV Cribs. And it's called Lifestyles of the Laodiceans. The script is only eight verses long, but they're impactful verses. So if you would, grab your Bibles. Turn to Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. And we're going to hear what the Lord has to say about Laodicea. This is what the word says. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich. I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see those whom I love, I reprove, and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you love us. 
We're grateful that by your love you've drawn us here this morning. And I pray, Father, that you would just speak your word boldly and with clarity, Father. Let us take a look at the Laodicean church, but Holy Spirit, we ask you to reveal our own hearts in this message. Let us see our need for the gospel. Let us see our need for our Savior. Help us to grow in you, Jesus, and become more like you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the big idea for today. Jesus Christ, he sees our spiritual self-sufficiency as sufficiently insufficient. In other words, the vibrant Christian life is found in total dependence on Christ and total independence from self. So here's Laodicea. The Beverly Hills of its day. Lifestyles of the rich and the famous going on right here. You know, if Laodicea had its own reality TV show, it'd probably be called Lukewarm and Laodicea. But what we have here is one of the wealthiest and opulent cities in the known world at the time. It was a major banking center located on both east and west, north and south trade routes. It was an important city. And just like Philadelphia, Sardis, Pergamum, they were owned by the Roman province. But here's something about their wealth is that there was a great earthquake that came through Laodicea. And when Nero tried to give them tarp money to rebuild their city, they denied it. And they used their own money to rebuild their city. And not only rebuild it, but rebuild it to a greater splendor and glory than what it was before. They had cash. Laodicea was also famous for their medical schools. They made this kind of eye salve that helped with a prevalent eye disease in that day. That eye disease could cause people to go blind. But they were known for their eye salve that could heal that. They were also known for these luxurious black wool garments. Kind of like furs. Which only the wealthy could afford. So basically, here's the wealthiest city in the known world. With the top doctors importing the finest furs. They had swimming pools. Movie stars. They had swag. But what about the church in Laodicea? You know, you can live in the culture, but be different from the culture. And in fact, Jesus calls us to that, but that's not true of the Laodicean church. They had almost totally adopted the perspectives and values of this culture. The norms of the culture had become the standards by which they lived. They fit comfortably and smoothly with the ebb and flow of the Laodicean culture. They weren't showing compassion for the marginalized. They did not have concern for those that were, were uh, being unjustly uh, treated. They did not have any zeal to be agents of God's transforming grace in this broken and hurting world. So with that in mind, it's important for us to look back at verse 14, where Jesus sets it all up. If you look at verse 14, he says that these are the words of the amen the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. See, Jesus declared himself to be the amen, the, the period, the finality of it all. Usually when we say amen, we usually like that statement, don't we? Amen. All right, you got it. And so it's a way to put a punctuation at the end of a statement. And in the Bible, it meant so be it or let it be so. It is so. And when we hear this amen, we got to go back to Genesis because we hear the same thing in Genesis, the same kind of language in the book of Genesis. And in, the, in Genesis, we read that God created 
and it was so. Basically meaning that God said, yes, let's make it happen, and it was so. It was amen. And he not only said it was so, but he said what? It was good. This is a statement of value that Jesus places on his creation, that it is so, and it is good. But when it came to humanity, we read a different story in Genesis 1. 26 through 27. I think the scripture is on your screen, but we're going to read it together because I think it's profound for where we're going today. Genesis 1, 26 through 27. It said, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, that's the word, so be it. Amen. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food and it was so, and it was Amen. And God saw that everything he had made and behold, it was very good. Jesus, the amen in this scripture in in Laodicea, Jesus, the amen, the one who makes it so, the creator who made you, who made me, who made the Laodiceans. He calls his creation of humanity very good. He's the one who now addresses the Laodiceans here. He's telling them, I know your works. I know what you were created for. I am the amen. I am the one who made it so. And I call you very good. I know what you were created for. But right now, church, you are not fulfilling your purpose. You are so far away from your purpose. This is what I call the great loss. The great loss is this. A life that never fulfills its purpose. And as we look at Laodicea, we see a church that's lost their purpose. They've lost their way. It's a wasted life. But Jesus lovingly yet firmly calls his created image bearers who have been redeemed by him, called to be his chosen people, to see themselves as they truly are. I'll say that again. Jesus calls them to see themselves as they truly are. Church, it's important for us as we look at the church of Laodicea that not only just say that was first century Christianity, but it's for me today that Jesus wants us to see who we truly are, to look at ourselves rightly, to look at ourselves soberly. So which brings us to the first observation in this passage in verses 15 and 16, that Jesus' view of the lifestyle of the Laodiceans is that their affections needed an overhaul. So as the amen, the so be it, the creator of all things says, I know what you're doing and it's not good. You've lost your purpose he says, I'm going to give you purpose back. And that first purpose is that you need, a, you need an affection overhaul. You need a heart uh, overhaul. So let's read it. Verse 15. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. 
Lack of compassion for the lost signified the Laodicean church. The lack of compassion for the marginalized, the least of these. And disinterest and an unwillingness to raise their voices against the injustice of their known world. And Jesus' proclamation to them is that you aren't hot, you aren't hot, you aren't cold. You are just lukewarm. And because of your lukewarmness, I'm going to spit you out. Here's something to help us with the context of what we just read, what we just read. There's a map on the screen. You see Laodicea in the middle there? There's a city up above it about six miles away called Hierapolis. Hierapolis was known for its hot springs. Probably the very first jacuzzi was, was right there in Hierapolis. If you've ever been there, I don't think you have, but they were known for their hot springs, bathtubs, jacuzzis, hot tubs. On the other side is Colossae, and they're known for their fresh water, their cold springs. So as Jesus is addressing Laodicea, he's highlighting the two cities beside him. I wish that you were hot. I wish that you were cold. And so Laodicea, having all the money that they could ever want, what do you think they did? They didn't have water. They didn't have hot water. They didn't have cold water. They built plumbing system. They tapped into Hierapolis. They tapped into Colossae, and they brought that water in. So what do you think that happened with the hot water as it went down uh, pipes, stone pipes for six miles? It became lukewarm, right? What happened to the cold water as it came down? It became lukewarm. So for Jesus to call them lukewarm, they got it. They were the city of lukewarm water. And so have you ever had a drink of lukewarm water, tea or coffee? It's gross, isn't it? It's not good. My neighbor the other day, he said, man, I like my PBR ice cold. If it's lukewarm, I spit it out. I said, amen. And so lukewarm (laughs) drinks. Here's the thing. Hot things serve a purpose, right? Cold things serve a purpose. Lukewarm drinks have no purpose other than just to be thrown out. And what's Jesus saying here? He's telling the Laodicean church that you need a heart change. I don't want you to be apathetically going through life. I don't want you to be so wrapped up in this world and its values that you lack any kind of passion. I just wish you were hot. I just wish you were cold. I I don't want you in the middle. Why? Because hot things have an effect. Cold things have an effect. Jesus doesn't want them stuck in the middle, and he doesn't want you and I stuck in the middle. One of my favorite movies, uh, and, and a quote in one of my favorite movies, comes from a man named Mr. Miyagi in Karate Kid. He said it this way, walk on the road, hmm? walk left side, safe. Walk right side, safe. Walk middle, sooner or later, just like grape. Understand? Get squished like grape. Here, karate, same thing. Either you karate do yes, or you karate do no. You karate do, I guess so. Just like grape. Understand? And so Jesus is saying to Laodicea, you follower of Jesus, yes. You follower of Jesus, no. You follower of Jesus, guess so. Spew. Understand? This front row understood because I just got him. Kind of like a Gallagher concert, if you've ever seen that. Smashing things, it's getting all over the front row. They need tarps to help them out. So here's the deal. The Laodiceans needed the words of the faithful and true witness, the reigning and ruling king to expose their heart motives and to awaken their heart to a greater affection than what they currently valued. So what is that greater affection? It's Jesus Christ himself. It's knowing him and loving him. 
He is jealous for our affections. He's jealous for our passions. He's jealous for our love and our devotion. The one who lived a sinless life. He died on a sinner's cross. He rose three days later, triumphant over death, hell, and the grave. Is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God, ever living to make intercession for us, is the one who deserves all of our love, who deserves all of our worship, who deserves all of our attention and affection. Can you say amen to that? This brings us to the second observation in the scripture, verses 17 through 18, that Jesus' view of the lifestyles of the Laodiceans is that their self-image needs an overhaul. So their heart, their affections not only needed an overhaul. See, they didn't understand the gospel, so they needed to understand the gospel. But then they also needed to understand who they were, what their self-image was. It needed an overhaul. They needed to know their identity in Christ and how that plays out in gospel-centered community. You see in verses 17 through 18, it says this, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. You see here in the verses 17 through 18 that the Laodiceans had a view of themselves that just didn't line up with Jesus' view of who they were. The Laodiceans feel that all they have, all they are, makes them completely sufficient. And Jesus calls it out. He calls it straight out here. He said, you say, I am rich. You say, I have prospered. You say, I need nothing. But here's what the faithful and true witness says. The the word of truth says, you are wretched. You are pitiable. You are poor. You are blind. You are naked. Have you ever gotten something brand new in your life? Anybody ever gotten something brand new in your life? Like when you're a kid, you got that brand new bike and you think it's awesome. But then that you show it to the kid down the street that has everything and he looks at it and starts dogging on it. That's never happened to you. Happened to me. It's 30 years ago. I was, uh, it was my birthday and, and I'd been waiting. I see, I had this sissy, ugly bike. I had a banana seat didn't even have the bar going across. It was a girly bike. It probably had like, I think it had like streamers on the handlebars and a big flag. It was nasty. And uh, I got dogged on all summer. And I was like, man, you know, my mom's in nursing school and my dad works in a factory and we just don't have the money. But I kept pressing them. Can I get a BMX bike? I want this cool bike. And so finally for my birthday, my mom and my dad got me this bike. And I thought it was so sweet. I jumped on that bike, man, aired up the tires, got on it, had pegs, it had shocks, it had everything that you want. You know, I could do like all my BMX tricks. And at the time there was this cool movie called Rad that was out. And I used, I watched it like every day and was like always trying to do tricks. And so I went down to my friend's house. That was the kid that had everything, lived in the nice neighborhood and showed him my bike. I was like so proud of it. And he goes, that is junk, man. I still hate that kid. (laughs) So, you know, what I thought was awesome in my eyes was actually reassessed and judged in the eyes of someone else. Same here. The Laodicean church was full of themselves. What they possessed. In the known world, they were rich. 
They were prosperous and they needed nothing because they really did have everything. However, Jesus' judgment and assessment saw it totally different. Jesus calls them wretched. That's far from Stuart Smalley's uh, statement of, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. How would you like to be called wretched by the word that created all things? This indictment should cut to the heart, to the depths of our inner being, and just rock our world. We are wretched. We are wretched apart from Christ. And when we're relying on our own sufficiency, we become sufficiently insufficient. And the Bible calls this wretchedness filthy rags. To put it kindly, this word wretched is a declaration to the Laodicean church that even outwardly, even though outwardly you're wearing fine, the finest of wool coats, inwardly you're wearing old, filthy rags that are covered in human waste. That's what the word wretched means. He also says to the Laodicean church that they're pitiable. See, they were apathetic and indifferent to the plight of the less fortunate and those treated unfairly. They could just walk by somebody that was hungry and on the street and not think a thing about it. And even indifferent towards them. Like, oh, those people that are always begging for food. They just bug me. Or they could look at an injustice done to somebody that was maybe on the other side of the tracks, but the Roman police would come and treat them unfairly. And they wouldn't think a thing about it. They would think that's what they deserve. They deserve that judgment. They were apathetic and indifferent. And Jesus says, even though you show no pity, you show no empathy on others, I'm going to show you pity. I'm going to call you pitiable. Isn't that the crux of the gospel? That Jesus gives us what we don't deserve. We deserve judgment. We deserve wrath. We deserve to have our creator look away in disdain. But yet, he looks on us with tender, loving, caring, and compassionate eyes. And he gives us what we don't deserve. And can never earn on our own merit. Grace to believe. Grace to grow in him. Grace to live a life that is bigger than us, a life found in him. See, Jesus also uses the word poor, which we have discussed that basically, physically, the Laodiceans were anything but poor. They would never be poor. They had more cash than we know what to do with. They had more stuff than we know what to do with. They were not poor. But once again, Jesus is addressing the heart of the matter. He's addressing their self-image. He's addressing their identity, where they're putting their stock in their identity. They, They were poor in their soul. And a spiritual life that's not cultivated is a spiritual life that is weak, that is poor, that is anemic. It's broken. Truth is, we're all poor. Once again, we have no ability in ourselves to redeem ourselves to purchase salvation. The apostle Peter ran into a guy like this. His name was Simon. Simon saw what they were doing. In Acts 8, 18 through 22, it says that, now when Simon saw the spirit was given through the laying on the the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give me this power also, so that anyone whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said this, he said, may your silver, your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, from this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent 
of your heart may be forgiven you. See, we're all poor. We're just like Simon. We are in need of salvation. And if we're like the Laodiceans, our self-sufficiency, our spiritual self-sufficiency tells Jesus, I'm not poor. I don't need you. I don't need a savior. I can do this on my own. But the fact is, you and I are, in, are morally bankrupt. We're all poor and we're in need of someone to purchase salvation for us. Someone greater than us. Someone richer than us to purchase salvation for us. We are great sinners. Thank you. We are great sinners, but Jesus is a greater savior. He's paid the price and he's, and he welcomes each of us to be children of God, to live as children of the King of Kings. And what's our response? Just like Simon, we got to repent. Just like Jesus calls the Laodiceans, we have to repent. we got to repent of our self-sufficiency, our spiritual self-sufficiency. And the final thing that Jesus states to the Laodiceans in, this, in these verses is that you are blind and you're naked. And as we've already discussed, Laodicea was a place that, that prided itself in its ability to heal a certain eye condition. They, did, they had a minuscule chance that they would ever be blind physically. There was no way that this eye disease could ever make them blind because they had the proper medicine to cure it. But yet, spiritually, they were blind. They couldn't see what Jesus had in store for them. They couldn't see the big purpose that Jesus had for them. They couldn't see the lost as the lost. They couldn't see the big picture of living for Jesus' glory, living for God's glory, living as a kingdom of priests. A chosen people, a royal priesthood who make much of him and, and show forth his excellencies in this world. See, they were also importers of the, of the best black wool coats and had the finest of clothes. Yet Jesus calls them naked. Being naked was the ultimate humiliation. Your designer label coats mean nothing to Jesus. He bids them come to him and buy gold refined in the fire so that they may be rich and Buy white garments so they may clothe themselves and be free from the shame of their nakedness. What's Jesus saying here? He's telling them to come to him. That he is of far greater worth than anything that money could buy. Let him refine their hearts in the fire of his holiness and love. Put on a garment of righteousness that comes from him. When he speaks of white garments, he's not talking about actual physical white garments. He's talking about the righteousness that comes from him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 said that God made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Bethel Church, are you living in the righteousness of God? Are you living uh, under the clothes, the clothing of Jesus' righteousness? He bids you come. Take off your outer garments. Take off your sinful outer garments and put on a garment of praise. Put on a garment of righteousness. Be, be uh, uh, like him because he's made a way. See, Christ's imputed righteousness is all that we need. And it's what the Laodicean church desperately needed. Their self-sufficiency kept them from their real life in Christ and from seeing their need to clothe themselves in his righteousness. See, it caused them to put stock into temporal things rather than things that are eternal. Just like the Laodiceans, our self-sufficiency is a wretched, pitiable, poor, and blind way of life. For us to truly live fulfilled lives, we have to turn our hearts and our minds 
toward Christ and make him the all-sufficient one. So, you know what? We may not be like the Laodiceans in that we may only have a nickel to our name. The clothes that we bought may be secondhand or hand-me-downs. And everything we owe may be chipped, broken, or uh, worn out. You know what? Today, you may be so poor that you cannot even pay attention. Thank you. I, I deserve a courtesy laugh on that one. But you may be so poor that you can't even pay attention. In that, but yet, in our hearts and our lives, we can still act like the Laodiceans. So what does a Laodicean look like in your world? Well, a Laodicean in your world lives a hurried life. Really, three things, three types of lives that a Laodicean would live in our world. A hurried life. A hurried life will kill you spiritually. A spiritual life thrives in a place of rest in Christ and taking time to just have deep reflection. So let me ask you this. How often do you take time to just slow down and allow the Lord to just search your heart? What is your prayer life like? Do you pray just for big things? Or are you willing to share everything with Jesus, even the little things? Let me ask you this, a hurried life. Do you live in a state of anxiety, fear, maybe anger, or confusion? A hurried life will kill you spiritually. A hurried life will cause you not to slow down and see Jesus for who he is. It will cause you to not slow down and savor Jesus. And that's where we see the Laodicean church. They were so busy about themselves and about what they had and what they could do that they never stopped to just sit and see and savor, savor Jesus Christ. So the question is, what is God asking you to do with your life? A second thing that the Laodicean life shows up is that it's a safe life. See, a safe life wants a pain-free life. A life that just all figured out. A safe life will stop your growth in Christ. Peter's faith was challenged when he stepped out of the boat. Was it not? He grew when he stepped out of the boat. He saw Jesus as his Savior when he stepped out of the boat. But guess what? He stepped out of the boat. The, the other 11 did not step out of the boat. So he decided to tra- trade in the safe for Jesus. A safe life will keep you in the boat. A life of risk allows you to see God at work in big ways. A safe life is guided by fear. So my question for you today is, what are you most afraid of? What are you most afraid of? The thing you fear most is the thing that would keep you from stepping away from self-sufficiency. Third thing that I see in the Laodicean life is that there's a shallow life. A shallow life avoids mystery and doubt. A shallow life wants to know what God is going to do. When we avoid doubts and we avoid mystery, we just become pretenders in life. So my questions for you on that is, what matters to you most? What stirs your soul? What are you passionate about? And if you're like the Laodiceans, anything less than showing the world the goodness of Christ, anything less than seeing and savoring Christ is not worth your passion. Let me say that again. Anything less than Jesus Christ is not worth your passion. A shallow life will keep you in the things of this world. 
See, Laodiceans were passionate about clothes. They were passionate about money. They were passionate about lavish lifestyle and status. This kind of shallow life hindered them from living out their identity in Christ. It hindered them from being in community of transformation and grace with other believers. And it hindered them from living out their mission. Jesus doesn't stop here at simple correction. He moves forward in providing hope for the future. In verses 19 and through 22, we, we find that Jesus' view of the Laodiceans' lifestyle was that they needed a vision adjustment. Let's read it, okay? Verses 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Get this right here. Jesus said, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. The fact that you're here this morning means that God is at work in your heart. That God loves you. He infinitely loves you. He put infinite worth on you. He desires to be your father. He desires to be your God. He desires to be your king. And because of his love, he sometimes has to reprove us. He sometimes has to discipline us, doesn't he? And that's what we see here with the Laodiceans. Is that their lifestyle needed a vision adjustment. And so he says, whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. So be zealous and repent. So if whatever's being said today, if it's cutting to the heart, be excited about that, okay? Be grateful for that because God is at work in you. He's showing you who you are. He's showing your need for him. And that's what he says. I love you and I'm going to reprove and discipline you. So verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to, to him and eat with him and him with me. Loving correction, discipline, and an unrelenting pursuit of your heart is what Jesus is all about. He's knocking and he's calling. He's calling you and me to live a, leave a life of spiritual self-sufficiency. He's calling us to a place of living in faith and passion for him and finding our identity in him. Because the Laodiceans were so focused on the here and now and the lives they were living, Jesus knew they needed a vision adjustment. They needed a new prescription of trading in their temporal lenses for eternal lenses. Okay. So this week I'm turning 40 years old. My eyes are starting to act a little blurry. And it won't be long before I'll probably need to get my eyes checked and probably have to start wearing glasses you know, as we get older, our vision grows dim, doesn't it? And, and it gets weak. And we need periodic checkups to make sure we're just seeing correctly. Jesus ends with a vision checkup. He's told them that where they're at and what they're valuing is not where he wants them at and not what he wants them to value. They needed a heart transplant. They needed a self-image makeover. And to finalize things, they needed a greater vision. And that greater vision is heaven. Jesus simply outlines that if they were able to conquer the pitfalls of life here in verses 19 through 22, if they're able to conquer the pitfalls of life of this life, just like he conquered them, then they will be able to sit on his throne with him. So where do we get the power to conquer? We get it from staying connected and dependent on Jesus. We get it from being totally dependent on Jesus and totally independent from self. He's the one who overcame sin and death. And invites you and me to live in his rest. To rest in his grace. 
to also overcome the pitfalls of self-sufficiency. The greater vision is this, that one day we'll pass from this life and stand before our creator, the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of God's creation, and we will hear him say, hopefully we'll hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. My prayer and my hope is that we'll not hear the other that says, depart from me. I never knew you. And that greater vision is that when we are in heaven, we're going to stand with every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people group who have been redeemed by our glorious king. And we're going to sing glory forever. We're going to sing praises to him forever. And we need to have a vision for that. We need to have a vision adjustment. If you're living for just the here and now, you need to get a vision adjustment that there is something greater. There's something greater that is of eternal significance. And it's reaching lost people. It's bringing them into the kingdom of heaven. So that one day we will see him face to face. And we will stand with our brothers and sisters from all over the world. Past, present, and future believers gathered together. So what's your vision? Where's your heart? What's your self-image? Are you living for his glory? Is your heart gripped With the beauty of Christ? Is your self-image built in Christ Jesus? Do you live in such a way that says, I know who I am in Jesus? That what I do flows out of who I am in Jesus? Or are you like the Laodiceans that say, what I do makes me who I am? Are you living for a vision for eternity? See, when we take this world, what this world has to offer, and we pit it up against a place where the streets are made of gold, the sea is like crystal, and the radiant beauty of Christ is an eternal light where there is no darkness, there is no shadow. Seems very frivolous, doesn't it? That we would live for anything else than Jesus himself. So what about you? Where are you currently? What areas of your heart do you find are captured by the stuff that our culture says is important? What's keeping you from passionate pursuit of Christ? Let me pray. Father, we thank you, God, for the words of the faithful and the amen, the true witness that declares over us that you see us who we are, as we are. You see, God, that each one of us We need a heart change, God. We need new affections. We need affections that go for you, Lord. God, you see us as we are. And you see us as we could be. Found completely and solely in you. Basing our identity in you, Jesus. And Lord, you see our vision. You see what we see. You see how we get caught up in the temporal in the things of this world, God. And I pray, Father, for my friends here today that we would take off the temporal lenses and put on eternal lenses and get a vision for what you want to do for our lives, that we would live a life of purpose because you've created us for purpose. You've created us for something greater than ourselves. May we live with reckless abandonment to your mission and to your purpose to make much of you in this world, to bring others to you, to bring others to the cross, to let them know the goodness of Christ. God, may you empower us to be a light to a dark 
and dying world. May we live in such a way that we're not spiritually self-sufficient, but we're totally dependent on you, Jesus. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.